Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Good morning. Yeah, we are like crazy busy, huh? And uh, we have, over the last five Sundays, we have been talking about... um, crazy busy, and one of the things that we've discovered is that one of the reasons we're busy is because we're supposed to be busy, that God created us to be busy people, and if you love God, and if you love people, um, if you love the Great Commission, you love the Great Command, if you are uh, creative, if you love uh, uh, being around people and seeing things happen, if you have ambition, you're going to be a busy person. And so one of the things we've learned in our five weeks leading up to today is that um, we've got to learn to swim. We, gotta have to have, we, we need swim lessons because we have to learn to swim in the ocean that's around us. In other words, we can't just um, gripe and complain about some bygone era that we think we were less busy in. Or we can't complain and gripe and look for some utopic place where people are not busy because it's just not there, Right? And we're busy because that's the way God created us to be, every single one of us. Jesus was busy. You, you, you can't read your New Testament, you can't read the Gospels and not just see how busy Jesus was. I mean, he was, he was here and he was there and immediately and next and after that. And the Apostle Paul was, was busy as well. Uh, we looked at a passage several weeks back, five, four or five weeks back, where we saw that Paul says, I worked harder than all the rest. Now, we're not talking about uh, eight-hour days that Paul was working. We're not talking about five-day work weeks. We're not talking about three or four weeks of vacation and weekends off and holidays off. The Apostle Paul, man, he worked, and he worked hard, and, and, and he was a busy guy. And so what we've been trying to discover together in our series is how do we learn to swim? How do we, how do we learn to be um, busy but not become crazy busy? Um, now, I, I, we've told you a couple different times, uh, there's another message we could preach, and that's, we might be able to do a series called Crazy Lazy. Uh, and some people are crazy lazy, and if you're crazy lazy, c- cover your ears, because this message is not for you. This series is not for you. So all of you are crazy lazy right now. Let's see. Put the lights up real bright here so everybody can see. Just cover your ears. I don't know too many people that are crazy lazy. Some people are. But this is a message about people that have a tendency, to, this series is about pe- people that have a tendency to be crazy busy. So today's the sixth, the final message in the series. So I want to just kind of go 10,000 feet. No, I'm going to go 1,000 feet. I want to fly over the last five Sundays. So the first Sunday we were together, first Sunday we were together, we, we talked about what crazy busyness can do to us. And it can rob us of joy. Crazy busyness can make us really difficult to live with. For some of us, the reason you have trouble in your relationships is because you're too busy. I just want to tell you that. Because when you're crazy busy, you are like irritable. Let me just tell you, you're irritable, you're impatient, you get angry easier, you can become more resentful when you're crazy busy, you're, you're, you're impatient, um, you're grumpy. You can get defensive much more easily. And so 
And, and, and one of the other things we discovered about crazy busyness is that crazy busyness in that first week, crazy busyness can be a way to cover over rot in our souls. That one of the reasons we stay so busy is so we never have to do any real self-examination. And we never have to look at maybe some attitudes or some actions or some area of repentance that we need in our life or a grudge we're holding against someone. If we keep busy enough, we never have to really deal with that kind of a thing. So then the second Sunday we came together, uh, we discovered this. We discovered that Jesus got it. Because Jesus was super busy, but he was never crazy busy. And Jesus got it that not everything that he could do is what he should do. Let me say that again. That not everything that Jesus could do is what he should do. And if that's true for Jesus, it's true for us, right? Because there's only one Messiah, and, and you're not him, and I'm not him. We, we looked in Mark chapter 1, and we discovered that Jesus did a bunch of healings. He, he rescued people. He, he saved people. He healed people. He drove demons out of people. Um, I think it was in Capernaum. And, 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 and there were people lined up for more, and Jesus said no more, and he left, and he went out, and he went out and rested, and he prayed. And his disciples went out looking for him and said, Jesus, come on, man, you're the star of the show. You need to come back. Come back quick. Jesus said, no, no, no more in Capernaum. We're done. I'm going to go to some other cities now. And he left a lot of things undone. Now, you or I would have said, if there was something Jesus could do, he should have done it. But Jesus realized that not everything that he could do is what he should do. And so we talked about that and what that meant for us in our lives. And we realized that some of the things you are doing in your life are things that God does not expect you to do. And so we've got to take five. We've said this several times. We have to take time daily to pull away to be with the Lord, Martha and Mary's story, um, to be with the Lord and be still before Him to discover, like Jesus did, what it is the Father wants us to do and what it is the Father doesn't want us to do. Because I can tell you clearly that the Father doesn't want you to do everything. Everything that you can do is not everything that you should do. And Jesus is our model for that. So we're flying at 1,000 feet. Well, we discovered, too, uh, Pastor Derek helped us discover that the screen, whether it's your iPhone or your Android or your iPad or your computer at home or your television set, that the screen can strangle your soul. That the screen can strangle your soul. And what we talked about on that message is how the screen distracts us in our focus. We talk about multi-purpose, multi, um, what's the word, multi, multitasking. I can't even single task. Uh, you, you know, we talk about multitasking. That's a myth. You cannot multitask. You cannot do two things well at the same time. And when you try to do one thing well, and the next minute another thing well, and the next minute another thing well, you are not going to do any of them very well. And the screen has a tendency to try to get us to suck into that myth of multitasking. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes our kids come home uh, every once in a while. Uh, they come home for a holiday or a birthday or something. And sometimes we're sitting at the table, and I look around at all of them at the table. we got the dinner on the table, and they are all praying while, we're, while I'm eating. They're all looking down at their laps. And I discovered that they're not, I hope, that would be better, but I discovered they're not actually praying. Their thumbs are pretty busy, and they're talking to all of their friends. And so we have a screen-free zone in our house. 
And, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing because, you know, there's always something more you can learn on the net. There's always somebody else you can post a picture about what you're doing. There's always somebody else that you can find out more information about their life. But what that does is it distracts you from the task at hand, whether that task is having dinner together with people, whether it's working together, and it fragments our life and it drives us crazy busy. And so some of us, we make sure the boss isn't looking, and then we spend 20 minutes on YouTube watching kittens dance, you know? I mean, yeah, you think I'm kidding, don't you? I, I track all of your computers. I've got this big computer at my office. And then what happens, because you've lost 20 or 30 minutes at work, then you go home and you answer 40, 40, 45 minutes of emails while the television's on, while you're nodding at your kids that want your attention. And you wonder why you're crazy busy? And I think all of the, now, the screen is a good thing. I value the screen. I like the screen. But the screen can strangle your soul. And I just would encourage you to turn the screen off more than you are. Just whatever that means for you. Um, uh, then, then one of the following is the fourth week. We discovered that your children um, can drive you crazy busy. And we really know that. We, we parents who are helicopter parents, lawnmower parents, overly obsessed, overly parenting parents who operate out of a fear that if we don't do everything right for our kids, which drives you crazy busy because you've got to do every single thing that they want you to do and every single thing that the books tell you and everything that the school tells you and everything that the club sports tell you. You have to do every single one of those things. And if you don't do every one of those things, your kids are going to end up at the back of the line. And then this really perverted thing, and it is really perverted that if we do all of the right things, you know, that if we check all of the right boxes and, and they're in Awanas and they're in this club and they're in that club and they're in that music lesson and they're in that dance and they're in that sport and they're in memorizing these verses and they're in this Sunday school and they're in that class and they go to that college that they're going to end up at the top of the world. That is just foolishness. That is trying to play God in our kids' lives. All of these messages are online. You can go back and, and, and listen to them. Um, and so we become crazy busy trying to, trying to do what we can't do with our kids. We called it, remember the word? We, uh, I didn't coin it. It came out in the 1980s. The word kindergarten. That children end up dominating our worlds, our parenting, our families. And never in the history of the world, anywhere else in the world, in the history of the world, have as kindergarten existed, the rule or dominion of kids until recently. We have some things on our blog, uh, com. you can read, or .org, excuse me. And then last week, Pastor Jen helped us to see that oftentimes our crazy busyness is really a self-inflicted wound that we're crazy busy because we choose to be crazy busy because we are, remember Jen's operative word last week, because of pride. Because we think that people who are really busy must be really important. You know, it, oh, oh, that guy, that gal, she's really important because look how busy she is. And she's got to walk down the hall with four people following them and handing them papers and talking on the phone and doing her nails all at the same time, watching Dancing Kittens as well. She must be really, really important. And so our pride gets involved in this. And so we end up saying yes to way too many things that God never intended us to say yes to because we want to look important. We don't want to look crazy lazy. Because crazy, lazy people aren't important people. That's kind of what we think. 
Um, but people who are crazy busy seem to be important, and our pride comes into it. So here we are, week six. Thank you for coming back. That's an encouragement, by the way that you'd come back. So all of you came back week six, last message in our Crazy Busy series. And all of you have come today, I know, thinking Pastor Gary is going to give us five steps to nirvana. He's going to give us a program of 15 easy things to do. And if you do these for 40 days, your life will be panic-free, frantic-free, calm, and not busy. And I appreciate your confidence in me. But I just need to tell you, I'm going to let you down again. And some of you are going to go, well, we're just leaving the church right now. We're just out of here. And you just feel free to go, go and do that if you like. Or some of you are saying, we're going to pass around a petition. We're going to get Pastor Gary fired. We're through with him. But I know none of that's going to happen because you guys are way too crazy busy to do either of those things. You know, it's just not going to happen. Just not going to happen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But I do have a word for you. And, and, and there's no money back guarantee on this word. And, and you notice you don't even have a message outline. You don't even have a message. And that's on purpose today because I just want you to hear this word. And I want you to hear what this word means. And here's the word that I think, uh, and there's other words that we could have used, but I, here's the word that I want to give you today, kind of to come from a little bit different angle, to give you today of the word that I think can help you and help me with our crazy busyness. Not just the word, but all that it stands for. And we're going to unpack what it stands for. So are you ready for the word now? Okay, okay. Should I, should I tell them the word? Okay, here's the word. This is I, what I think, no money back guarantees, but I think can help you more than anything with your crazy busyness. Here's the word. It's a Bible word. It's always good. Sleep. Amen. <laughs> Not during the sermon. Um, I don't know, some scientists up at some prestigious college, uh, Harvard or Stanford or Mesa, they did this, uh, they did this study. I went to Mesa. What are you guys chuckling about? <laughs> um, they did this study, and they studied on one particular Sunday all the people around the world who, who slept during a sermon at a church. They studied all these people, and they, they did this. They said, now, if you took all those people and you laid them out flat, and you laid them, you know, head to toe, you know, kind of stretched them out that way, and you stretched them all out like that, every single person Sunday morning who slept, if you stretched them all out like that, they discovered they'd be a lot more comfortable. Yeah. These seats are not good for sleeping in. I have slept in these seats, but they're not real good for sleeping in. So when I say sleep, I'm not talking about sleeping at church. So open your Bibles, and we're going to leave the lights off just because it feels so much cooler, doesn't it, without the lights on? And then if you fall asleep, no one knows it either. So that's even a better thing. So open your Bible to the book of, of, of Genesis. It's the first book in your Bible. And then we may get to the book of Psalms, which is in the middle, smack in the middle of your Bible. So you might want to kind of find find both here. So, this is so cool that um, in Genesis chapter 1, we discover what we've been, we have been worshiping God the Creator, and in Genesis chapter 1, what, we're, what we discover is that creation, and why He's worthy to be worshipped. And in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we discover that God creates us, men and women, and He creates us out of the dust of the earth. Now, that's curious. 
and, and I like to ask some of these questions. Why did God use dust to create us from? And that's what, our, that's what our, the man, first man's name meant. Adam, Adam. It means dirt. Uh, he was the dirt man. He, was the, he, he came from the dust of the earth. And I always like to ask, well, why didn't God use water to create us? Because we're mostly water, right? Why didn't God just make us out of nothing? Why? I, I like to ponder those kinds of questions. And I don't know the answer to that. If you do, email me. Uh, I'd really like to know. But one of the things that God did when he created man and woman is he created them with the need to sleep. Now, I want you to think about I, I know some of you are going, go ahead, Gary, you have a firm grasp on the obvious. And, and I know that I do. But I want you to think about that. God did not need to create us with a need to sleep. And it wasn't like that someone handed God a manual and said, here's how to make people, right? Two eyes, two ears, lots of hair like Pastor Gary has, one mouth. And, oh, they have to have the need to sleep, right? Because God's the creator. He created human beings just like he wanted to. And he could have created us. Like, for instance, he didn't create us with a need to walk on. Did he? Did he create any of us with a need to walk on? Why didn't he do that? He could have, right? But he didn't. But he did create us with a need to sleep. But he didn't have to. And in fact, you cannot not sleep. God cannot sleep. Now that in and of itself, that juxtaposition, that you have to sleep and God never sleeps, that ought to give you an insight into what's going on here with sleep. One of the, some of the reasons why God joyfully... See, God didn't create sleep to punish five-year-olds that had to take naps, did he? Some five-year-olds think that. I, I love naps, right? I mean, God created Sunday afternoons for one purpose and one purpose only, right? And, and, and why did God do that? Why did God create us that we, if you don't sleep, you die, and yet he can't sleep? And you know that you, you, you know the, the one thing that you will do more of in your whole life than anything else, one activity? Sleep. You sleep an average of a third of your life. So if you're 21 years old today, you're here in our worship center, you're 21 years old, you have slept seven years. Seven years. And if you're 42 years old, that means you've slept about 14 years. You've slept about 14 years. And so if you're 63 years old, you have slept the entire life of the 21-year-olds that are here in our church. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So why would God create us so that we had to sleep about a third of our lives? And you know, there's a lot about sleep in the Bible. Just a whole bunch about sleep in the Bible. Um, now, I, th- I think here's a clue, is that one of the reasons God created us with the need to sleep is so that we would not be crazy busy 24 hours a day. So that for at least, say, eight hours, we'll just use that number, at least eight hours a day, you will not be busy at all. Because when you sleep good, April bought some new pillows online. These pillows are like deadly. 
They're the best pillow I have ever had in my life. I just can't wait some nights to go to bed and to lay down on that pillow. That pillow just, oh, just makes me sleep. Just holds me in there. So why did God create us that a third of our life and a third of every day and a third of every month and a third of every week, we are not busy at all because sleeping is not a busy work, is it? It's best. It's the when you sleep good. It's the best, right? So why did God create us this way? And I think he created this way to to so that we wouldn't be crazy busy 24 hours a day and so that the 16 hours we are awake, we would learn something important from the eight hours that we were asleep. And that is, I'm sorry to burst some of your bubbles, the world does not revolve around us. That while we sleep, guess who doesn't? And so then that gives us a new freedom, even when we're awake, to back off and to cease and to rest because the world doesn't revolve around us. We learned that the eight hours we were asleep, right? Isn't that cool? I think this might be part of the reason God created us to sleep. So let's look at it. Let's look at it in Genesis chapter 1 here. Genesis chapter 1. So uh, uh, we have this little, the wonderful preamble in verses 1 and 2. But let's go to verse 3 here. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good And he separated the light from the darkness. And what's happening in these, there's six days of creation. And what's happening is God is differentiating. He is showing contrast that this fits with this. This is different than that, but it fits with this. It's Francis Schaeffer, old theologian. He talked about what God was doing here was separating and differentiating. It's showing how like how, how things go together and, and things fit together. So he separated the light from the darkness. and the, God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. This is day one of creation. And we call it today, we call it Sunday, right? It's the, it, it's, it's the first day of the week. God begins his creation work. Then day two starts in verse six. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And probably what the situation was, was the whole atmosphere around us was probably all water. I'm not sure how that worked. That's what people that are a lot smarter and, uh, than I am that some people, some of them think. And so God separates the waters in the, from the, in the heavens and the earth. He says, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. It's not about the oceans. So God made the vault that separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And so it was. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now, what's been repeated? You you who are reading along with me, what has been repeated in these first two days of creation? What are a couple things that have been repeated? Look in your Bible. Put your finger in the text. Evening and morning, the first day, right? Evening and morning, the second day, right? Now, what else? let's hold that, Marietta. That was, that's excellent. That's what we're going to come back to. What else is repeated? Water. Is water in the first day? Uh, probably, yeah. I, no, I, I'm sorry. What's repeated day to day? First day, second day. What's, what is it? Separation, very good. What else? What is it? God spoke, very good. What else? Good. 
Is good, is, has good shown up again? No, you know what? Good does not show up on day two. It's interesting. But on day three, it shows up twice. Good shows up twice. So let's see if some of these things are repeated on day three, on, on Tuesday. Um, let's see. Uh, verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground. Here's the seas. And it was so. God called the dry, land, the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, etc., etc., etc. Look down at the end of verse 12. And God saw that it was good. So on Tuesday, twice he says things are good. It's the only day he says it's that things are good is, is on Tuesday. And this is a reason why if you have Orthodox Jewish friends, a lot of times they'll get married on Tuesday because it's the day of God's double blessing, they would understand. But look at verse 13. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now, I want you to see how this continues on every day of the week. Verse 19, day 4. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Now we go to Thursday, day five. Look at the end of it, verse 23. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And then go down to Friday, day six. And go down to verse 31. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work. Work is good. It's pre-fall. It's really good for us to work. God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested. The word is Shabbat. The Hebrew word is Shabbat. We get our word Sabbath from it. It means to rest or to cease or to pause. The Psalms have a beautiful word, and my father and I just met a little girl who has the name from the Psalms that means to pause. What is it? Selah. You find that word repeated in the Psalms. Selah. Rest or pause. So, the, so God on the seventh day, He completed the creation in six days. On the seventh day, there in verse 2, the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing, and on the seventh day He paused he ceased he rested god doesn't sleep but i could we could say by extension here god took a nap he slept god doesn't sleep you you understand what i'm saying here from all of his work then god blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he sabbath paused ceased stopped from the work of creating that he had done every week god builds in a Sabbath, a, 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 a time in which he stopped working, in which we're to stop, we're to pause, we're to take naps, we're to walk in the park, we're to, we're to not answer emails. Whatever it is we do the rest of the week, we're to pause from that. And, 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 we're, and we're to stop. Um, April and I, last July, a year ago right now, we, were, we spent the month of July in Jerusalem. And um, we, we, one, of the, one of the wonderful things that we, we experienced in Jerusalem was that Friday afternoon, I don't know what time it was, it was probably 5.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30, as the sun was starting to go down, and we could see it starting to go down, 
Um, on the street that we lived on, there were buses and taxis and people on bikes and cars. And as it came closer and closer to sunset, less buses and less horn honking and less cars and less people. And the shop owners began to pull the metal down in front of their windows and lock up their shops and leave. And instead of buses and taxis and cars, the road then began to be full of families and people walking hand in hand, talking with each other. And the park out behind our house became full of families and playing and and singles and people connecting and talking. But but everything everything was closed. But what if you needed milk? You should have gotten it earlier. Or you should wait till the next day. What if you needed um, uh, yogurt or whatever it is that you needed? What if you needed that? Everything, everything was closed. And you know, at first it was kind of freaky. It was like, what is going on here? Because it just got quiet over the land. And then the, and as the sun set and a horn blew at the very moment that the sun set and the Shabbat had begun. It began and there was then this resting period, this time of worship and cell phones went off and computers went off and people talked and they lived and they ate and they went to synagogue and they worshipped and they stopped everything they did. And then the next day, Saturday, as the sun began to set again, what began to happen? Store owners came back to their shops and you heard the metal roll up front windows and doors. And then you heard a bus then you heard a taxi, and then you heard cars coming down the street, and then you saw people on their phones, and you saw people then heading to work on Saturday night because the Sabbath was now coming to a close. And it was a wonderful forced break for April and May. I lo- we loved it. This, this, this time where we just paused from what we would normally do. And God says, this is good for us. This is good for you. Every week there is this built-in Sabbath. Now we Christians have taken this and transitioned it from Saturday, Friday night, till Saturday night, as the Jews have it. We've transitioned it to Sunday. The main reason being, as we discover in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that the, they, the, the Christians began to worship on the first day of the week rather than the last day of the week. They began to take the Sabbath on the first day of the week on Sunday. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus resurrects. There are, there are a few Christians, our, our Seventh-day Adventist friends, who think we have it wrong and that, that you, we should have the Sabbath on Saturday. And, and we're not going to fight them about it. I, th- I think that they're wrong from what Scripture teaches us. But we're not going to fight them over that. But, it, but that we take a day to rest and to cease. An Olympic runner uh, by the name of... There was an article in the Wall Street Journal about an about a, um, Olympic runner... His name is Bernard Lagat, and he's won four gold medals in the 1500 to the 5000 race. And, and in this uh, article in the Wall Street Journal, Bernard talks about his, what his secret to running is. I mean, this guy, four-time gold, uh, gold medalist in, uh, in the Olympics. What, what's his secret to running? And, and he said, my secret to running is not running. Like, what? He says, yeah, once a year for five weeks... I take my running shoes and I put them in the closet. I don't run once in five weeks. I eat everything I want. 
I coach my kids' soccer team. I sleep a lot. I rest a lot. I enjoy a lot. Then he says, when I get back into running, because of the rest, I'm better. And you're better, and I'm better when we've slept. When we've rested. But I want you to see something. I don't want you to wait once a week, or as the Jews do as well, once every seven years. This is the year of Jubilee for the Hebrews. And when we were in Jerusalem, or when we were in Jerusalem, um, we wanted to plant some trees in a national forest, and they wouldn't let us plant trees because this is the year you don't work. You don't work the soil. And some of them continue to work as well, but they wouldn't allow us to do that. So once every seven years, that's the reason Israel, one of the, one of the reasons Israel went into captivity, is because they stopped taking that year off every seven years. That time of pause. So once, once every seven years, once a week, but I want you to see something that is real, I think is really significant here in Genesis chapter 1. What was that phrase that we kept seeing over and over again? For instance, in verse 19. Look at it in verse 19. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So for God, when does the day begin? In the evening. For God, and our Jewish friends read their Bible better than we do here. For God, the day begins not when the sun comes up, as we would say, right? Not as the sun comes up, but the day for God begins when our sun goes down. Now think about it. What do we normally do, normally, eventually do, when the sun goes down? What do we do? Sleep. We go to sleep, right? Now I know some of you, you know, you don't go to bed when the sun goes down. And I don't, I don't go to bed when the sun goes down. But you know what? That's a very modern um, benefit that you have. You know, most places in the not most places, but many places in the world today, and in all of human history, when the sun goes down, people go to bed. Why? Well, they didn't have the electric light, and they still don't have it a lot of places. Um, when the sun goes down, uh, it gets cold, and if you don't have central heating, which most people around the world don't and haven't, haven't had, it gets cold. So what do you do? You bundle up and you go to bed, right? And most people around the world were hunter-gatherers or farmers for all of history. And so when the sun went down, they couldn't work anymore. And what they had to do, then they went to bed. They ate and they went to bed early, when the, after, soon after the sun went down, because their goats and sheep wouldn't sleep in until 7.30 or 8.30 or 9.30 in the morning. And when their goats and sheep woke up, they had to be up to take care of them. And so they're not going to stay up watching uh, uh, Kimball till midnight or 12.30 at night because their goats are going to wake them up at 6.15 in the morning, right? So get this idea that what it means for the sun to go down in almost everywhere in the world. We're a minority, an absolute minority. You're living in a time of great minority. But in most places in the world, when the sun goes down, we go to sleep. Now, when you do go to sleep, I mean, April and I, we stay up really late, April and I do. I mean, we were up till 8.45 a couple of nights back. I mean, it was just incredible. I, I don't know if you, some of you have seen that time of night before. But eventually we go to bed, right? All of us go to bed. And when you go to bed, what happens? Not much. Um... Have any of you ever written an email when you were sleeping? I know you've thought about emails when you're sleeping. Uh, have any of you driven your kids to uh, soccer or dance or 
music or art class? No. Have you ever, any of you kept a dentist appointment in your sleep? Have any of you changed the oil in your car? Have any of you mowed your lawns? Have any of you painted your fences when you were asleep? Have any of you studied for a test when you were asleep? Have any of you um, discipled someone when you were asleep? Have any of you uh, uh, washed the dishes when you were asleep? No, none of us have. And so we see sleep as a really unproductive time. And, and we kind of feel like nothing happens when we're asleep, right? <laughs> and God is like saying, uh, right. And so my, my iPhone, I, I use a, the crickets to wake me up. I don't know how you, what your alarm is like, but I hear crickets when it's time for me to get up. And I, I got up about 5.30 this morning, and my crickets went off, and I went, got up, and I got out of bed, and I said, okay, it's a new day. Let's get it started. And God said to me, uh, Gary, you're like eight hours late. I said, well, what do you mean, God? Well, I started the day before you went to bed, and I've been running the world pretty well. Well, God, wait a minute, God. <laughs> the world does not run very well without me. He says, well, thank you very much, but go outside. So I went outside, and you know what? There was dew on the grass. I had nothing to do with it. He did it while I slept. What's the deal, God? And um, there were birds. When you wake up early in the morning, it's, quite, it's amazing how loud the birds are. I had nothing to do with that. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. And you know what else God did when I was sleeping? I couldn't believe he did this without me. He rotated the earth while I was asleep. Not all the way. I need to help him the rest of the way. But he rotated the earth. And you know what else he did? He gave me breath. While I was sleeping, I wasn't even aware of taking a breath the whole night that I slept. And when I woke up, I wasn't aware of it either. But he had filled my lungs with what I needed to live. He did all of that while I was asleep. And he created you and he created me this way so that we would be dependent upon him. And realize we can trust him, right? That it's not about us. And I want to tell you about your crazy busyness that God, I think, gives us sleep in my crazy busyness, that God gives us sleep to remind us then for the hours that we are awake that the world runs pretty good without us too. Oh, He has things for us to do. Don't be crazy lazy. Discover it what it is that God wants for you to do. But remember, even in doing whatever it is that He wants you to do, that God is the one who is in control and He can be trusted. And those are the two things I want to say to you. I want to say to you that God gives, when we go to sleep, when we take a nap, when we throw a frisbee, when we read a book, when we take a nap, when we goof off all day, when we listen to music for four hours, and we feel like we're not productive, what we're doing, if we're not crazy lazy, and what, you know what, let me say about laziness real quick. What laziness is really about, it's, laziness can become a, laziness is a means to um, distract ourselves from what God wants us to be about. And so if you're using rest and naps and frisbee throwing, if you're using those things to distract you from loving God and loving people, then you need to do some work with Jesus about that because that's not why He gives us rest. 
He gives us rest. Here's the first thing I want to say. So that we will trust Him. So when I go to bed, I say, Lord, I am so glad that You're in charge and I'm not. Lord, You're, you're going to do just fine without me. And isn't it good to be able to trust a God like that? And then to wake up in the morning and say, God, man, it is so cool what You've done. Thank You for rotating the earth, God. Um, I trust You. You're in charge. And then we wake up not to take the steering wheel back from God, not to take the reins back from God. Okay, God, thanks. I needed that rest. Now I'm back in charge. No, 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 no. Say, God, just thank You, man. The reins are Yours. What is it, Spirit, what is it You want me to do? What is it You want me to be part of? What is it You don't want me to do? Would You guide me and lead me in that? Because I know, God, I can trust You. And then the second thing is that when we rest, when we sleep, when we pause at night and once a week and every seven years, however we work that out, and every day, in the middle of the day, when we pause and rest in the middle of our days and don't become frantic and become crazy busy, we are remembering His grace to us. That it's He who began a good work in us. And it's He, Paul tells us in Philippians, it is He who will bring it to completion. Our, 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 our crazy busy series, and, and the, way, the reason I wanted to end this with sleep is so that none of us would become legalistic. None of us would think, well, if I do this, then things will be better. If I make myself get more sleep, things will be better. Man, none of that will work. That's self-help, and that will be over quickly. But instead, Jesus, who finished all the work that needed to be done, He finished it. He invites us to rest in Him because He finished it. Because Jesus always keeps His promises. He always keeps His promises. Then we can rest in Him. We can rest in Him knowing that He will bring bring to completion what He has begun. I want to just tell you one story. And it's about Jesus. Mark chapter 4. The disciples are in a boat. And um, a storm comes up. And Jesus is in the boat too. And the storm's throwing them high and throwing them low. And man, it's a mess. And they're frantic, aren't they? Aren't aren't the disciples? They're crazy busy. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And where is Jesus? He's asleep on a pillow in the boat. Now, I know He's God. I think he was sleeping to show them that they could trust him. And I think the reason he calls us to sleep and to rest is to remind us that we can trust him. Jesus, we, um, we got all kinds of reasons for being crazy busy. But we want to follow you. And we want to stop being so busy so that we can bring You more glory. Because when we stop being so busy and trying to fix everything and trying to do everything, we say to You, Lord, You're the one who does everything. 
You're the one who sustains us. You're the one who created it all. You're the one who carries us forth. You're the one who holds us. And you are the one who began the good work in our life. And it is you, Lord Jesus, who will bring it to completion. So Jesus, I pray that we would learn that we can give you great glory by Sabbathing and ceasing and resting and sleeping and saying, we trust you. And we do trust you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, okay, here's your pastoral assignment. Pastoral command. Naps. This afternoon, a nap for all of you. Hey, greet some folks around you. Don't leave without having a good conversation with someone that's with you. The Lord is with you.